0: Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Doctrine of justification was probably the main issue of the Protestant Reformation. Are we made right with God by faith alone, as the Protestants believed, or are we made right with God by faith plus works? Last week, I covered a lot of material, probably too much, but but just for a a quick review and and just uh, kind of explained in maybe a slightly different way. Let me go over the Roman Catholic system of justification again, okay? So Roman Catholics teach everyone is born with original sin, and then baptism gives them a clean slate, so to speak, so it washes away this original sin. Now, this gives the person justifying grace. Justifying grace or sanctifying grace is a grace that is in the soul of the person, and it gives them spiritual life. So uh, if, you, if you're if you in a state of grace, you have this sanctifying or justifying grace, and you are in like a friendship type of relationship with God, okay? Now, if you sin after baptism, there's two different categories of sin. There's mortal sin. Now, mortal sin is so bad that you have broken this state of grace, good standing with God, and you're on your way to hell unless that sin is forgiven, and so the catholic way of saying that you are have broken this, you are in now a mortal state. And this is spiritual death. So uh justifying grace or a state of grace, that is spiritual life. And then if you commit a mortal sin, now you are you are spiritually dead. Now venial sin is the lesser of the two. So you have mortal and venial sin. So venial sin is not as bad. Your relationship with God is not broken. It is damaged. But you still have this uh, justifying grace. You're still in a state of grace. So if mortal sin is like a red light, venial sin would be a yellow light. If one continues in, in constant venial sin, he's in danger of falling into committing mortal sin. So if you fall into a a mortal state or you've committed venial sins, God will give you another form of grace, And, and Catholics sometimes refer to this as actual grace. And so this is like a a push or a motivation to get back into a state of grace you know you could you could kind of relate this to your conscience you know it's that voice in your head convicting you of your sin and telling you to go to confession that that's the push from God um but by his grace he is sort of pushing or motivating catholics to go to confession, confess their sin, and and sort of get back on the right track. And so if you are willing to respond to this push or motiv- motivation, this actual grace, then you'll, you can get forgiveness of your sins. How do you do this? You need to do penance. And so baptism is the first way that one is justified in Roman Catholicism. But then if you lose that, then penance is sort of the secondary way that you can be justified. Penance involves confessing your sins to the priest, and you have to have the right attitude and, and you know, true sorrow for your sin, and then you perform these acts of penance that the priest requires. This is where you, you know, say a certain number of Hail Marys and our, our fathers, uh, pray the rosary. What, whatever the priest decides um, is, the, is the thing that you need to do. Now, after penance, you are no longer on your way to hell. You are back into a state of grace. But there are still some temporary punishments that you will have to pay for because of your sin. And you can pay for these temporary punishments uh, a few different ways. You can do extra works of penance. Um, You can do acts of charity towards others. So in all of these things, you are earning more and more merit for yourself. Your, Your justification before God is increasing. You are literally becoming more and more righteous as you do these good works in a state of grace. And as you obey God, you are being—and Catholicism, you are infused with more and more righteousness. So that's a word that's used a lot um, to describe how one is um, increasing in justification or becoming more and more righteous. As you do these good works, you are infused with more righteousness. So your merit status is constantly changing. You do some good things, you say the rosary, you pray fast, go to Mass— all these things are infusing you with more righteousness, and so I imagine it's kind of like a tank that you want to try to keep full as long as the tank is full when you die, then you go straight to heaven if it's a you know if it's if it's uh not all the way full but it's got some in it, then you are in a state of grace, and so you would you would eventually go to heaven, but you've got to go to purgatory you know to to be um completely pure so it's like this this big tank in in my mind this is kind of how I think of it. And so every sin that you have takes merit out of the tank. It, and and every good work you do puts some merit back in. So it's like constantly changing. If you commit a mortal sin, you lose all of it. The you know, you lose all of it. Not only that, but the lid gets locked. So you you know, nothing you do can put merit back in until you get back into the state of grace. So the state of grace sort of like unlocks the lid and allows you to start filling that tank again with good works, with with merit, with your own righteousness. And the only way, if you fall out of a state of grace, if if you commit a mortal sin, the only way to be able to start filling your tank again is to go to confession, do penance, and that gets you back into this state of grace. It it then enables you to start filling that tank again with merit. Catholic Catechism uh, number 2010, or 2010, so it says this since the initiative belongs to god in the order of grace no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of conversion moved so so it they're they're saying it starts with god's grace god's grace is what allows you to be baptized and and you're initially um, cleansed of sin because of God's grace, okay? But if you lose that, then, then the catechism continues. Moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification, for the increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life. That's from the Catholic Catechism 2010. Not the year two thousand two thousand ten. The number of the Catechism. All right, <laughs> I, I um I, to, I just want to make sure that's clear. All right, Carl Keating, who's the founder of Catholic Answers. That's www.catholic.com. That's where I've, I get a lot of my information from because this is a pro-Catholic website that defends the Catholic faith, and so I, I that it's a good resource for lots of different things. He says this, Carl Keating, referring to the Catholic understanding of justification. He says. It, it sees justification as a true eradication of sin and a true sanctification and renewal. The soul becomes becomes objectively pleasing to God and so merits heaven. It merits heaven because now it is actually good. So to keep with this idea of, of filling this tank up, uh, most people do not die with a full tank. And so any empty space in that tank is due to temporal sin, and that must be, uh, you must pay for that in purgatory or or in this life, you can try to fill up the tank. But let's say you die and your, your tank's got a little, it's got some empty space in it. You've got to pay for those sins. You've got to be be purified in purgatory. All right. Now, some people are so righteous that they have earned extra merit during their life and their merit tank was overflowing and this extra merit gets deposited in the treasury of merit and this treasury is filled with the merit of Jesus, Mary and the saints. All right? Jesus, Mary and the saints. Now, the pope has access to this treasury of merit and he can withdraw some of that merit from the treasury and apply it to your own tank or to someone else's tank. And this is called an indulgence when the when the pope When the Pope uh, spiritually, I guess, goes in, takes out some of the merit from the treasury of merit and applies it to your own account, you know, to, to fill up your own tank, that is called an indulgence. And there are lots of different things you can do to earn an indulgence for yourself or for a loved one. And a plenary indulgence, I mentioned this last time, it remits all of this temporal punishment and immediately frees a person from purgatory. It's like an instant merit tank fill up. Okay, so if someone is dead and you get a plenary indulgence for them, if you do certain things, uh, there's lots of different ways you can you can attain a plenary indulgence, according to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, If you do that in um, for someone else who's already dead, then they immediately go from purgatory to heaven. So righteousness, in the Catholic view of justification, is something that is infused into a person. That's important. God's grace is what enables you to do the good works, but it increases the merits that you are earning. Jesus' death on the cross saves you from eternal punishment, but your own merits, and, and possibly the merits of Jesus, Mary, and the saints, and the treasury of merit, will help you become righteous enough to attain heaven. And so the only way you get this merit, the only way you get grace from God is through the sacraments of the church. So baptism is the primary means of getting this justifying grace, but penance is the secondary means of getting that grace uh, if you fall into sin. And so notice that you must go through the church, the Roman Catholic Church, to to access God's grace. The the church is is sort of like the channel, these, these sacraments that the church does uh, you know, baptism, penance. This is the way that you get grace. And so the Roman Catholic Church is the in-between. So God does not forgive you your sin if you're praying in your bedroom by yourself, repenting of the sin in your life. You must go to a priest for that. The The church is the one who controls the grace given to to us. So, the takeaways from Catholic justification is that it is a faith plus works system, so Catholics praise God for his grace um, his His actual grace is what gives us that motivation to repent and confess our sins The sanctifying or justifying grace allows them to be in a in a state of grace where they can earn this supernatural merit. Uh, However, it is their own merit they are earning. Another way of thinking about merit is that it's a reward. They are earning a reward for their good works. They are being infused with righteousness and increasing in merit so they can attain heaven. Uh, So that's that's the Roman Catholic system. So let's take a quick break here. You can connect with me, barechristianity at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments concerns. Uh, if, if, if you think I've said something in error I'd be happy to know about that and, and correct it. So uh, you can also message me on Instagram at the real Bear Martin. And so this episode of Bear Christianity is sponsored by the Memory Contact Lenses. Have you ever come across someone you should know, but you have no clue what their name is or how you know them? Well, not anymore. Introducing the Memory Contact Lenses. The Memory Contact Lenses are lenses for the modern age. It syncs with your social media accounts to help you avoid those awkward situations where you have to say, uh, "'Tell me your name again.'" Using facial recognition software and Iron Man display technology, the memory contacts will display pertinent information for everyone you meet, such as the names of their kids, marital status, where they went on vacation last year, political opinions, helping you avoid or engage in a heated debate. Bear Christianity listeners receive the bonus mask upgrade when they use the coupon code hey, you. With the mask upgrade, the facial recognition software allows you to see their mouth moving as they talk to you, even if they're wearing a mask. Memory contact lenses make people feel special. Details may vary. Some restrictions may apply. We talked about Martin Luther, who is certainly a key figure in the Protestant Reformation. We we talked about Martin Luther last week some uh but he was the son of Hans and Margaret Luther. Hans was a peasant miner uh who, who was a hard worker. Eventually he became a, a small business owner. So he he owned several small mines. Uh, But he wanted a better life for his son, and he encouraged Martin Luther to go to law school. Luther showed signs of uh, great intelligence early in life, and so uh, his dad wanted him to go to law school. Now, while attending law school, Luther was walking home and got caught in a sudden thunderstorm. Lightning struck a few feet from Luther and knocked him to the ground. And in a desperate and fearful cry, Luther said, help me, St. Anne, I'll become a monk. Now, within a few weeks, Luther committed himself to an Augustinian monastery, one of the strictest of the Catholic religion. And so in those days, being a monk was one of the surest ways to attain salvation. So Luther viewed this decision as a way of forsaking the riches of the world and giving them up for spiritual riches found in the church. Now, he excelled in his studies and was encouraged to become a priest. And in 1510, this is seven years before nailing the 95 Theses to the church church door in Wittenberg, uh, in 1510, Luther had the opportunity to go to Rome as a representative from his monastery. So he was excited because in Rome, he could visit many of the relics and historic sites, which allowed uh, allowed him to earn indulgences for his loved ones but when he got to rome he was surprised to see the open corruption of many of the clergy a uh, priest would say mass as quickly as possible and move on to the next crowd of people for luther he was expecting rome to be this glorious center of of worship for you know and, and all these people fully devoted to the roman catholic church you know he's a, he's a monk that's been in one of the strictest monasteries um, so when he got there this this corruption was really a shock to his system Now, Luther visited the Scala Sancta, or the sacred stairs, which were said to be the same stairs that Jesus Christ climbed when he stood before Pontius Pilate. Now, you may be asking, why are these stairs in Rome if Jesus was in Jerusalem? It's uh, Helena, Emperor Constantine's mother, was sort of collecting all these relics, and she had these stairs shipped from Jerusalem to Rome. So in Luther's day, they were in Rome. So if a person ascends the stairs pondering the passion of Jesus Christ or perhaps saying the rosary, then they can earn a plenary indulgence. Now, Luther was trying to earn this for his grandfather. And so his visit to Rome was overall a frustrating one. And this glory of Rome had sort of faded in Luther's mind as he witnessed the corruption of the medieval Roman Catholic Church firsthand. Now, after climbing these sacred steps on his knees in prayer and in an effort to free his grandfather from purgatory, Luther stood up at the top of the stairs and said out loud, Who knows if it's true? Back at his monastery, Luther became entrenched with his own guilt. He recognized the sin in his own life, and he felt completely unworthy before God. Despite trying to follow every rule of the monastery, Luther continued to find more and more sin in his own life. He would confess his sins for hours to the priest, and as he walked out of the confessional, he would remember some other sin and be tortured by the thought of that sin remaining with him until his next confession. And so Luther began to think of sin Uh, as a condition, a way of being. It's as if he had a heart that continued to sin no matter how many confessions and acts of penance he performed. Nothing seemed to rid him of his guilt before God. Instead of keeping Luther isolated, his superior thought it would be beneficial for Luther to begin teaching, so Luther was assigned to teach scripture at the university in Wittenberg. It was in 1515 that Luther had his greatest discovery. He was preparing to teach the book of Romans and studying one of its key verses, Romans 1, 17. Now, just to give you some context to this verse, I'm going to start a few verses earlier. Romans 1, starting in verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so what Luther struggled with is that the gospel mentioned here, the gospel means good news. But from Luther's standpoint, how can the righteousness of God be good news? Luther knew that God was righteous. But Luther also knew that he was not righteous, and that is why he was always trying to confess his sins in order to have forgiveness. Luther knew his sins were too great to stand before God. He deserved separation from the holy and righteous creator of all things. And so as he studied this verse, he began reading from St. Augustine. Now remember, Luther was an Augustinian monk, so he's reading from one of his heroes here. On Romans 117, Augustine wrote, He does not say the righteousness of man or the righteousness of his own will, but the righteousness of God, not that whereby he is himself righteous, but that with which he endows man when he justifies the ungodly. And so that's a little bit wordy. So here's what's being said. The righteousness of God is not something that Luther must earn or attain for himself. It is not a righteousness in and of himself. It is a righteousness given to him by God. And Luther, commenting on this moment, said, I felt that I had been born anew and that the gates of heaven had been opened. The whole of scripture gained a new meaning. And from that point on, the phrase, the justice of God, no longer filled me with hatred, but rather became unspeakably sweet by virtue of a great love. So God declares us righteous because God gives us righteousness. That is the gospel or the good news. The gospel is a word used to refer to a message that the battle has been won. So a messenger would roam from the battlefield back home with a gospel or good news. On the cross, Jesus said, Tetelestai, which is often translated, it is finished or or it is done, it is complete. The gospel is good news about something that has been accomplished. It is not a list of rules for us to follow. So let me explain Luther's discovery a little bit more just to make sure that you have it. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, it says this, Uh, Starting in 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, the next few verses are going to use the word reconcile a lot. And Vine's Bible Dictionary says this about the Greek word that's used to translate to reconcile. It means to change from enmity to friendship. Okay, primarily, reconciliation is what God accomplishes exercising his grace towards sinful man on the ground of the death of Christ in sacrifice under the judgment due to sin. So reconciliation is this act by God where he takes us from being enemies with him to a to friendship with him, all right? That's, that's reconciliation. So back to 2 Corinthians 5, ver, again, verse 17 tells us anyone in Christ is a new creation. And then verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this is the the key verse here, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that last verse is one of my favorites, and and if you understand 2 Corinthians 5.21, you will understand the basics of the gospel. And and it's, it's kind of a little bit of a wordy verse, but let me read it again. For our sake, he made him, so that's God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus traded places with us. He lived a perfect life. He was completely righteous and without sin. He perfectly kept the commandments, not just in outward appearance, but from the heart. He never gave into any temptation. But we are sinners. We are not perfect. And every time we sin, that is rebellion against God. Uh, Listen to episode three of Bear Christianity podcast for a lot more information on that. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that Jesus, the perfect one, took the punishment for our sin. Now, this is good news. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that's a phrase most people have heard before. But what is just as important is the next part of the verse. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so a key word for this exchange between us and Christ is the word imputation. So I mentioned that Catholics use the word infuse uh, basically, this righteousness is being infused into them, and they are becoming more and more righteous as they do uh, more and earn more and more merit. Now, imputation is the, is the way Protestants see the idea of justification. So, this is a legal declaration. Justification is a legal declaration. When a child is adopted, that child is legally considered the son or daughter of their adopted parents. Their genetic makeup is not changed. They are not the literal son or daughter of their new parents, but they are legally declared the child of their adopted parents. Luther used a Latin phrase that's very famous to describe what we are in justification. It's, and this is Latin, and forgive me, I never took Latin in school, but it's simul justus et peccator, meaning at the same time just and sinner. So we are still sinners. Christians still sin, but it is by faith that we are declared righteous by God. Legally, we are counted as righteous in the court of God, all right, but we are still sinners, and so Catholics call the imputation of righteousness a legal fiction um, it's It's as if they, they it's like they, they view it as like a cheap trick by God, but the Protestant view more fully appreciates the perfect work of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was only needed to pay the eternal punishment for our sins, he could have descended from heaven as an adult, been crucified and then resurrected and back to heaven in no time. That's all he had to do was just die for our eternal punishment, if that's all that Jesus paid, if that's all that Jesus did. But what most people miss is the fact that Jesus not only died for our sin, but he also lived a perfect life of obedience to God the Father. He lived the perfect life that we are supposed to live, that we are required to live in order to be right with God. And so while Catholics consider Jesus' death as the payment for eternal punishments, they still believe that their good works are necessary to earn merit to attain eternal life. Again, think about Catholicism. You you sin, you do penance, and they say, "Well, you don't have to go to hell anymore. Jesus paid for that." But you still have this temporal punishment, you know, on your account that you've got to pay for, either in purgatory or in this life now. And 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 you know, Protestants completely reject that view because it weakens what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Yes but he also was born in a manger and lived a perfect life and so jesus gives us all of that perfection he didn't just die for our sins he also lived the life that we were supposed to live okay and so that's that's why there's no you know purgatory or anything like that in the in the protestant way of thinking because jesus has paid it all he's done everything he's already done all the merits that that we're supposed to do in this earthly life it is by faith and faith alone, that that we um, that, that is credited to our account. So justification for a Protestant is the legal declaration by God, wherein he reckons us as righteous. We are legally considered righteous before the, the throne of God, the judgment seat of God. We are accounted righteous. So justification is not to be confused with sanctification. Uh, in Catholicism, those are sort of mixed together. But in Protestantism, justification and sanctification are different. Sanctification is the process by which Christians grow more like Christ in every aspect of life. So today, of course, we are only talking about justification. Now, Paul's letter to the Romans has the most thorough discussion of justification in all of the Bible. In the book of Romans, Paul is making an argument. He is making a case for what Christianity is. So Romans 1, 2, and the early part of 3 lay out the evidence that mankind is guilty of sin before God. And at the end of this section, Paul gives a quotation from the Psalms. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then a little bit further down in Romans three twenty, Paul says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. As I continue, there will be two words that are in opposition to one another throughout the following passages, faith and works. They are opposed to one another. They cannot be mixed. Paul is is putting them in contrast to one another. So just listen out for that. So Paul makes it clear that we are sinners and will never live up to the perfection required in God's law. And then Romans 3, starting in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Uh, if we're doing, if you're doing all this stuff, which is supposed to earn yourself more merit in the Roman Catholic system, then God is the initiator. He gives you the push that you need, the motivation you need, and he's the one who who sort of brings you into this state of grace where you can start earning this merit for yourself. But you are the one who went out and earned that merit. You are earning your own righteousness. A Catholic may say, well, it's all the merit of Jesus that he graciously gives us, so it's still all from God. We're we're just doing the things that the Roman Catholic Church tells us to do. My response is this, if you are not earning your own merit, but rather are given the merit of Jesus, then why is the treasury of merit the mixed merit of Jesus, Mary, and the saints? So supposedly, Mary and the saints earns extra merit that is credited to their name, not Jesus' name. The treasury of merit is not filled with only Jesus' merit that it That wouldn't be near as much of a problem, okay, but when you say that it's filled with the 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 merit of Jesus, Mary, and the saints in some way, Catholics are earning some kind of merit on their own by their own good works, and so let me remind you of the Catholic catechism twenty ten again that I quoted earlier the The last part of that says moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves. And for others, the grace is needed for our sanctification, for the increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life and So, if you merit for yourselves and others the grace is needed for eternal life, then you certainly have room to boast if If I merit somehow the grace that you need to go to heaven, I mean I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And so, you know, you have room to boast. It is not all on Christ. It is a—the treasury of merit is mixed, and this implies that Catholics are somehow earning merit, which is, which is to own their name and not only through Jesus. And I realize that Catholicism has, you know, different ways of trying to get around that, but again— if, if, it's, if it's all Jesus, then why is that treasury of merit filled with some of the merit of Mary and some of the merit of the saints? Now, Paul is going to go on in Romans to give some examples of true justification. In Romans 4, 1 through 5, Paul says, "'What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say?' Abraham believed God, believe and, and faith are you know are similar words there. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. All right, so his faith is counted as righteousness. That is imputation of righteousness. Some translations will say his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so Abraham was not righteous in and of himself. Rather, because of his faith, God declares or considers Abraham to be righteous. Now, as far as working, uh, it says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. There's basically two ways that you can try to get to heaven. You can try to work for it and earn it, and for which the Bible says you will never make it. Uh, Romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, we will never be able to earn our way t- for salvation. So you can either work for it and you'll get what you're due, but it, it ain't going to be what you want. And the the other way to go about it is through faith, okay? So, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, all right? It is not in Christ Jesus our Lord and some of the merit of Mary and the saints, all right? It is only in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we try to work our way out of our sinful state, we will never succeed. We always fall short. Paul then is going to go on to give us another example, Romans 4, 6 through 8, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It's not that the man is earning so much merit that he is becoming righteous in and of himself. No, this blessed man here is a sinner, yet at the same time, the Lord is not counting his sin against him. Now, think about Luther and his discovery of true justification, how a person truly justified. The just shall live by faith. Imagine him reading Romans for the first time with this new set of eyes, eyes which see the beauty of Jesus Christ's sacrifice of himself for us. A man, you know, Luther was a man who agonized over his own sinful heart for years, never finding relief in the Roman Catholic system, always wondering if he'd done enough. Imagine him reading the verses I, I mentioned above for the first time with this, you know, this new mindset, and then he's going to come to Romans chapter 5. So he reads all that, and then it says this, Romans 5, one. therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, a little bit further down, Romans 5, 8-11, through 11, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we, shall we be saved by his life." All right, So, so we, uh, God pays the punishment for our sin, but also it says much more shall we be saved by his life. Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live in both ways. Jesus pays the punish- punishment for our sin and lives the perfect life we were supposed to live. We get all of that by faith. All of that, all of Jesus' perfection is, is credited to our account. And then um, Paul continues, "...more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." Now, this is true peace with God. Peace comes when we realize that our good works will never fill that tank I was mentioning earlier. Our own merits will never fill it. Though we exhaust ourselves, we, we will never be at peace with God." you can't be at peace if at any moment a mortal sin can throw you out of a state of grace in which you are now enemies of God once again. You're not at peace trying to avoid death as we rush to a priest to confess our sins to him in order to have forgiveness. That's not peace. Christians can be at true peace because they see that massive tank and realize it's impossible to fill it up with our own merit. But then they realize that by faith, Jesus fills it with his own blood and the Holy Spirit seals the door shut so that none of it ever escapes. Salvation belongs to the Lord, all of it, every aspect. It's all to the glory of God. There is no mixing, none. Even the smallest percentage of glory does not go to ourselves or Mary or the saints. None of it, no mixing. It's all to the glory of the Lord, okay? Jesus did it all. Now, once justified, does this mean that we can go back to sinning? No way. Okay. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, this is important. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, Protestants are not saying that you just have this one moment of faith and then you can go do whatever the heck you want. No, a, a truly saved person will do good works, but it, the, the good works in no way earn merit or save us in any way. Now, did Luther come up with this idea of justification by faith on his own? Catholics often accuse Luther of like making this up um, and sort of, you know, no one in history had ever interpreted the Bible this way. And then 1,500 years later, Luther just comes up with this interpretation. Well, first, it doesn't matter what Luther interpreted. I mean, it matters historically, but what ultimately matters is what the Bible teaches. So I've said it a bunch of times, we must always go back to the Bible. Is Luther's discovery of justification consistent with what the Bible teaches? That is the important question. However, you know, just to give some historical defense that Luther was not the first person to come up with this— Protestants believe that it was actually Roman Catholicism that deviated. So here's a quote from Clement of Rome. He died around 100 AD and he was the bishop of Rome. Now, the bishop of Rome is the same office which would now which would later be referred to as the pope. All right? So this is one of the first popes and he says, And we too, being called by his will in Christ Jesus, are not justified by ourselves, nor by our own wisdom or understanding or godliness or works, which we have wrought in holiness of heart, but by that faith through which from the beginning Almighty God has justified all men, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. So I just want to bring out this one phrase. He says, we are not justified by works which we have wrought in holiness of heart. So not justified by works. We are justified by faith. John Chrysostom, he lived from 349 to 407. Um, he says this, the patriarch Abraham himself, before receiving circumcision, but before doing any uh, works, he had been declared righteous on the score of faith alone before circumcision. The text says Abraham believed God and credit for it brought him to righteousness. Now there are many more quotes on this topic from from early church fathers. See the episode notes for a link to that. Now, this episode was the the Protestant view of justification, all right? It's justification by faith alone. There are plenty of Catholic objections to what I've just laid out, and so next week I'll start going over some of them. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may already be thinking of a verse Catholics are itching to quote right now, and when I read it, you will think that it is in direct contradiction to this whole episode, but don't worry, we'll talk about it next week. It's James 2.24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone.